Morning. Morning. I'm not happy today. <laughs> well, that's nice of you to tell us. <laughs> You just told me to stop. I, I know that's why I'm saying it because honestly, you're not yourself. We've had a lovely rant in the car on the way here, and then I don't think it's fair to come on a podcast and be like, "Hi, everything's fantastic." When actually, you're feeling a bit shit. I'm tired. I feel run down. I'm mad at the world. Really mad at the world, and I just, I don't, I can tell just looking at myself. I look tired. I look drained. My hair's all gone dry. My hair always goes dry when I'm miserable. Do you use that oil? <laughs> yeah, but look at it, it's gone all the because I'm not well. It, is, it does, it shows in your hair, doesn't it? When you when you are feeling a little bit run down, it shows in your hair and your eyes. Yeah, but I don't want to be all miserable on the podcast. I mean, like we need to move on now, don't we? Just yeah, so we know. do. Let's like, just acknowledge that sometimes acknowledging that you're feeling shit because like you was quite happy to begin with then to pretend that you wasn't. And act. <laughs> yeah, and put, put a bit of a show on. Which is what I've always done. Yeah. On a brave face. And it's not fair. I I do it to some extent. I'm definitely that person, you know, where they go like, Are you all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm great. Are you? Mm. Even when I did it giving birth. Like, the, I did honestly, right? The, mid, the midwife come in, it was when I was, well, all of them actually, but I remember it most with Olivia, my third one. And she came in, and I remember like it was proper hurting at this point, and I was like, it's really <laughs> hurting. Like you do. And, then, and then the midwife came in and she went, How are you doing? And I was like, Oh, I'm great, thanks to you. <laughs> and I was just about to give <laughs> And then, like, when eventually, like, I was like, Oh, I think it like she's really gonna be coming out now and I was like really dilated she came out like 10 minutes after oh I was like that I was and like, like yeah I'm great <laughs> I was like I'm not all right I remember my midwife oh, yeah. yeah but especially with Daniel my first one she come in and she had to be two paracetamol I wanted to stick them for us oh I couldn't be angry I was like that like I said that. two paracetamol this is not a headache. <laughs> really? Yeah. I was furious that she wouldn't give me like an epidural oh, in, in the first minute. <laughs> I'm not good with like public displays of pain. <laughs> pain. Yeah. Like it really concerned. I remember with my first one, no, Ben it was, my second one, looking in the mirror and not, and I didn't even want anyone to be there because I just think it's such a private thing. But obviously I needed a midwife because I didn't know how to deliver my own baby. But I was awkward about it. Like I didn't. Oh, I didn't care less. I didn't care less. I was having a full-on conversation when they were stitching me up after Daniel. I really didn't care. Oh, no, I don't like it. When when I've had a smear test and they're talking to me, I'm like, just shut up and do it. I can't talk about the weather while you're up there. (laughs) It's not me doing it, though, is it? No, no, you're not doing it. (laughs) Do you know what they do when, when when you're having a smear test? It's my thing, right, where I always go in and I go... Oh, I'm, I wish I'd shaved my legs. You know, like, right. I, Your legs? Yeah. Oh, I wish, I wish I'd shaved my legs. Right. No, that's what I say. Oh, I wish I'd shaved my legs. Or I have shaved my legs. And I say, oh, I'm glad I've shaved my legs. And then, like, and I know I'm making comments. It's like my weather story. Why would you be concerned about your legs, though, when they're actually there? I don't know, but maybe it's just my way of just... Are you saying legs instead of there? No, no, that's what I actually say to them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but now you've made me think of that. I'm probably going to be saying that as well. But anyway, I do actually say legs, but then... I always say to them straight afterwards, I go, oh, it's just because I feel awkward because then I know I feel awkward. So then I point out that I feel yeah, awkward. Yeah, I always say that. And I then awkward. I say, but I suppose it's just like what a dentist does to you, it? You're always looking in there. And then I'm like, oh my God, shut up. 
shut up Alex just let her do her job oh. let her do the smear and shut up like I can't stop talking I, I know it. I get it I talk like about the awkwardness of it I just hate I really struggle with stuff like you know I, I do anyway. it's took me 40 years to be able to say tampax without, <laughs> without like how bad is that no I was really shocked the other day when I was at your house and you actually said tampax I was like oh I you know said it. well I know because I don't want like Olivia to go up and be awkward about it because she's already we we say thing we say thingy. thingy so like Olivia will say will you get me some thingies it's yeah you do need to get it and then there. when that time <laughs> when she said to me she was like mom if you're going to the shop will you get me some thingies and then my son who's like 18 was like I want some thingies from the shop then if you're getting stuff and me and Olivia were like um, so I was like, Ben, she means tampons. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, I don't want any of them, Mum. I don't want any of them. <laughs> it's so funny because my my kids, my older two, will they just talk about it like it's normal. And yeah. I suppose that's what well, you do normalise it, yeah. it. But like Daniel, I'll say to him, get some regular tampons off the shelf. And he wouldn't think twice about pulling them down. No, we, this is weird, right? Because Ben would go to the shop for his girlfriend for tampons. At, but like me and the girls always say thingies. Like, what the hell? How's that? How's that happened? Probably because you've never needed to say thingy to Ben, so it's not as abnormal. It's just not been talked about. Yeah. Anyway, our guest today. Yeah, gosh, so we went on we the did end, go on to cheer yourself up, talk about smears and thingies. So we've got um, a lady today called Cece. We're not going to tell you too much about her, other than she's in recovery. She classed herself as in recovery. Um, she has suffered. From from trauma and she writes poems and journal entries so we'll let her tell you a little bit about herself hi Cece hi it's so lovely of you to join us thank you thank you for having me I've been really excited about this yeah we've just we honestly thought you were still over in America but you've just told yeah. us you're actually in New Zealand no, you're not in New Zealand <laughs> I wish <laughs> Newcastle, sort of the same place, isn't it? In Newcastle, UK. Yes, that's right. I've been here for almost four years. So are you becoming like Geordified, did you say? I think so. I mean, I like to joke that because I'm from the South in the States and I like to joke that I'm the first redneck Geordie hybrid to ever exist. <laughs> so that's sort of where I fall. Yeah, I bet you are. Oh, this will be quite interesting then. I'd love like to hear you, your take on the British booze culture. Ah, yeah, what I have you, thoughts. <laughs> what was you sober when you got here? Um, well, <laughs> it's sort of funny because I, I came here for six months because that's the longest you can stay without a visa just to sort of test it out and see could I make the permanent move? Does it vibe with me? Do I like it? Whatever. Um, and when I came here for the six months, I was like white knuckling it maybe 16 days sober when I landed off the plane. So I really started my sobriety journey here in Newcastle, went home for a while, sort of like did the back and forth thing, continued on with my sobriety in the States and then came back here and finished my like steps and all of that stuff. So I was sort of in like a hybrid of the, of the two things. Wow. Have you ever watched Geordie Shaw? Yeah. I bet you're glad that you was sober then, huh? Yeah. Oh my God. Because <laughs> people ask about it, you know, back home and I'll like, I'm being funny and I'll like send them clips of Geordie Shore and I'm like, that's what it's like. And it's not what it's like, but it's so funny to me to do that. I think 
think it is a bit like that, though. I mean, I know obviously on Geordie Shore it's shoved right in your face. I do think the British drinking culture is it's quite bad, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think the thing is, is that it's so prevalent. It's so like readily available. It's so easy to get your hands on. Like I always drink like I mean, near the end, I drank like hard liquor because it was like, you know, it's like, what is it like? Uh, candy is dandy, but liquor is quicker. Is that like sort of the saying? And it was like, you know, why am I going to mess around? And where I'm from, they had what's called an ABC store. So that was like the only place that you could go and get like hard alcohol other than like beer and wine and stuff, like proper spirits at the ABC store and not all states are like that but like the southern ones on the east coast are so it was quite difficult to get those you have to be 21 they're like open government hours and off on like bank holidays and things like that so it wasn't quite as easy to get your hands on and then I move over here like barely just a little bit sober like trying to hold it together and every single corner shop every single whatever you could just point and look and I was like oh my god they had like little airplane bottles on the counter and I was like I'm gonna die. <laughs> it's so true. It's and it, you know here as well. I'm not sure what it's like over in America, but at the cinemas, at the bowling alley, mm. at the coffee shops—not all coffee shops, but a lot of coffee shops are licensed now. You just can't escape it. Yeah, it really is. I, I think that it's more so here. I think that it's getting to be that way in the states. And of course, I can't speak for all the states because it's just so big and the laws are different between each one and whatever. But I mean, there were sort of like there were special movie theaters that you could go to and get like um, mixed drinks and stuff like that. But even at the regular movie theaters in the states, you could get beer and things like so not so much coffee shops, though. But I think, I think the more time goes on, the more like people just sort of like want to have a drink or whatever, because it's, it's part of like the, you know, mommy needs a glass of wine and part of the like relax and the sort of like, oh, like the Gordon's uh, adverts. Oh, you have nothing to do. Just have a, have a gin and tonic because you don't want to watch the TV. So just get drunk instead. It's like, that's sort of, <laughs> but it's, it's oh. becoming the norm. Yeah. So how long have you been sober now then, Cece? I celebrated five years of sobriety on the 1st of January this year. That's amazing. Thank you. And are you okay to share with us what brought you to that point? Because you've had quite a checkered past, haven't you? Mm, Yeah, that's a really, that's a really nice way to say it. Checkered past. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to start using that. (laughs) Yeah, so I, I mean... There's sort of a lot of factors, aren't there? Like, it's never sort of like really straightforward. And this happened and this happened and this happened and now dun, 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 everything is wonderful. You know, it doesn't really, I wish it was like that. And you could just sort of snap your fingers. But I mean, I started drinking when I was really young, but my dad was an alcoholic. I sort of learned from the best, so to speak. Um, I knew exactly what I was doing when I drank for the first time because I was like, well, uh, he does this to cope with life and I can't cope with my life. So off we go. And that was it. I was off to the races, like, you know, 14 years old. Um, And I just like drank to get drunk. And it was not a great experience. And then I just continued (laughs) to do that for another, you know, like over a decade. And um, in the middle of that, I lost my mom, she got sick when I was really young, she was in her mid 30s with what's called motor neuron disease here, it's called ALS in the States. Um, or Lou Lou Gehrig's disease, uh, which is terminal and has a life expectancy of like two to four years. And that was really like, 
a lot. Um, my uncle had passed away. Uh, she decided to, she was seeing somebody and they decided to still get married. Um, and him and I didn't get along very well at the time. So that was kind of hard. They got married. And then she had a, uh, I'm pregnant, oops, um, <laughs> sort of miracle pregnancy that she wasn't supposed to be able to have because she had had like surgery so she couldn't get pregnant. And then she also was already sick with a terminal illness, um, but she still got pregnant. And now we have little Vivian and she's 13. So oh, wow. yeah, I know it was like, it was crazy, but it, it was so hard at the time because she was so sick. She had to be hospitalized when Vivian was born. She was only a few pounds and then she was in the NICU for another month and some change and she was like you know two hour drive away without traffic <laughs> in this hospital so it was like we would get off of school and get in the car and then drive to the hospital and I just felt like dead inside like I just you know all of the things had happened this is all within months of each other like I'm not saying that stuff sort of built up over time this is all within like three or four months that everything oh, happened sorry Cece I'm sorry how old was she then um like 15 16 oh you, you was you night were you 19 when your mum passed yeah so right you're going back a few yeah. years before then mm -hmm. yeah so she had been really sick all of that had happened and then yeah she she passed away when I was 19 um and then and I have another sister as well so it was like the three of us but we sort of got like split off and Vivian um obviously she has a different dad than me so she stayed with her dad and my sister went with my aunt and I stayed with my abusive boyfriend <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> so I I was with him for like seven years and it was horrendous and awful he would like throw things at me and punch holes in the walls next to my head he was really like sexually abusive and really like mentally abusive and you know when we got together I was 16 and he was 25 oh. and I just thought that I was like so special and I was like so mature for my age or whatever which we know now just means that you've been through a lot of childhood trauma so yeah, they tell you you're mature right but none of this was like part of the the things that people talk about now it wasn't like that even then um, you know, people didn't talk about like, this is what an abusive relationship is. And this is what love is. And this is what love isn't. And, and, you know, know your worth and self care. Like I'd never heard of self care until a couple of years ago. What, what the heck are you talking about? So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I just stayed with him and I lost contact with my family for a long time. Um, my, he really fed my alcoholism, um, this addiction in general, because we would, you know, we would try different things and whatever. And I could get, a hold of things very easily because obviously you can't get alcohol until you're 21 in the states but he was already 25 so whatever i wanted he could get us or me or whatever like my friends and stuff so it made it that much easier to get a hold of things and by the end i was drinking like a liter bottle of whiskey to myself a night um and like he would drink one too and we'd have friends over we always had people over to the house who was like the, you know the hangout like party spot or whatever I was always like cleaning up after everybody and trying to whatever um I ended up leaving because he tried to kill me and I was planning on leaving before then but then obviously that happened so I had to leave a bit sooner um which I laugh not because it's funny but it's just like you have to laugh yeah, I, I, I was just going to say, the way you say it is so kind of like, yeah, and then he tried to kill me. And it's and fine. Then, yeah. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> but you well, this therapy, haven't you, for that? Because yeah. you did. Yeah. Oh, that's therapy. fine then. Yeah. You're fine. No, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking the way you say it. It's, 
completely like far outweighs anything we've been through really <laughs> doesn't it but it, it the way you say it in that blase way it's just a coping mechanism isn't it you can't go back there in your mind it's just yeah well that's the thing too is this is like years of therapy later and whatever and I do have like I have complex PTSD I have stuff that will probably just hang out and like live with me for a while or forever and that's okay like I'll just live with that stuff and it's fine um but I now can talk about things as like separate from myself I can just see an event and like that is a thing that happened and I don't like relive it yeah like yeah so that's why I can sort of say all of these things happen like <laughs> like it's not a big yeah. deal not to like minimize it but just to like separate myself from it yeah you are incredible Lisa's right and I think you know when you talk in your on the web page that we were looking on you talk about how that's where your writing began I mean you said you would you, you were born with a pen in your hand or something yeah. like yeah but um writing really took off for you in the kind of pits of despair didn't it yeah because I didn't have any other way to really communicate what I was going through like when my dad like when my folks were together and my dad was like in active addiction and doing his thing which I mean to be fair he still is but we don't communicate anymore um my mom's whole thing was like to put on like a brave face and to put on this sort of shiny exterior of look at our beautiful all-American family, right? And that was sort of the thing. And so I learned to lie. <laughs> Things are bad. We don't talk about them. We just lie and pretend they're okay. It's weird because so, we've just been talking about yeah, it. We start the podcast by complete accident. We were just talking about how people put on a brave face. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I learned how to do that. That's exactly what it was. And then when mom was sick, it was very similar to that because there was no time for... Cece's problems because mom is dying so how dare Cece have problems you know was sort of the thing it was like just you know stiff upper lip and get your act together because we've got way too much going on right now and that was like literally communicated to myself and to like other people or whatever so you know there was nowhere else to put my feelings and I didn't really know how to communicate my feelings because I never had so I could write things and I was that typical like emo kid teenager and I wrote my like angsty poetry and listened to my chemical romance and I still very much am that teenager <laughs> I'm just you know 30 uh but yeah it was a way for me to express myself without any judgment without anybody sort of listening in it was the place where I could go and sort of like download this stuff and get it out of me um because the page would listen when no human wouldn't I love that and I get that actually I used to from a very young age I wrote poetry and I always like laugh at the fact that I cannot write when I'm happy or when I'm in a good place yeah. it was honestly I'd, I'd get really into it I would love to find everything that I wrote like once with my uh, it's nothing like to the extent of yours but when I was separating from my first husband and he it just walked out it was a complete shock to me like we had children a house everything was like a normal and he just completely vanished and when I looked back I'd been writing poems for like 18 months before and when I read them back it was all there yeah. every single thing was written there but I'd not kind of attached myself to it mm -hmm. it was just so weird but I cannot write when I'm happy can you <laughs> 
Now I can, yeah. Um, but I mean, it's been years. Like I used to sort of be the same way that it was easier for me to write like during a panic attack uh, than it was to like, you know, write when I was happy about something. But I started doing like, I think I was doing mindfulness before I even knew what that was. I would do like observational poetry. I would want to write something, but I didn't necessarily have like a first line in my head. And I would like go to the beach or something and I would like people watch or whatever. And I talk about like, you know, the ice just shifted in my drink because it melted a little bit and there's a kid screaming over there, but oh, they're happy. And, you know, like, and it was like <laughs> sort of being in and just talking about what was going on around me because I couldn't really go inward. And that sort of helped me to kind of like get past that. But yeah, I mean, I've been writing for a long, long time. <laughs> so you've learned to do it when you're happy now. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> teach writing. This could be a... <laughs> I mean, kind of, yeah. I like I run a community for survivors uh, of addiction, abuse, and trauma to um, heal, and I say unearth their inner warrior because I like to say that uh, through writing. Yeah. So, yeah, because it's really powerful, and I say like it saved my life, and I mean that like multiple times. And um, it's funny because like you're like I used to write poetry, and and there's so many of us who did, but we've just sort of lost it, um, yeah. you know, because life gets busy or whatever. So, but it is really, really powerful to write. We have um, a membership group and our members, a lot of them experience, they have group coaching, they have the lounges with us, they have the talking circles mm. kind of thing where, you know, we do drop-ins and so on. But something that a lot of them do is journaling and writing, mm. but very kind of just off their own back. So, yeah. Yeah, if, if this is something that you think you might be able to help us with, we'll speak to you afterwards. <laughs> yeah. I've got it here in front of me, the Right to Heal community. Yes. Is that yeah. what you do? do you want to tell us a little bit about that then? Yeah, so it's like, it's just a beautiful little group. I only started it in, Ju in I say July. Why did I say July? In December. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I said that. <laughs> My coffee is in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, happened. I just... <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I just started it in December because I wanted to do something. I don't know. I wanted to do something more creative. I already own another business, but it's in financial services. And I just wanted to do something different. And I wanted to help people. I wanted to make the thing that I wish I had, I suppose. So it's great because I have like have guest experts come in and talk about you know self-compassion and like nutrition and all kinds of things so it's very sort of like holistic but then I do things about journaling and poetry and like monthly mini workshops about different things and I drop like new bits of content in like um writing prompts or they they wanted like my skincare routine because I'm like obsessed <laughs> with skincare and they're like and I was like what do you mean you just wash your face with regular soap and they were like well film your skincare routine and I was like fine it's just like it's just a cool really good skin <laughs> well, <thanks. laughs> it's because I spend so much money on it uh, <laughs> thanks there's no secret it all comes from the bank <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly my beauty pie subscription um but yeah it's just it's just a little I, and I wanted it to be safe as well that was really important to me that it was like safe and judgment free and also that it was for everybody it's not just for women it's not just for men it's for like if you are a human being <laughs> no matter like what like gender you identify as I don't care about any of that stuff if you like if you sort of want to heal and you like writing and you want to sort of like love yourself then you can come and hang out and then if you're like not nice 
then you have to leave <laughs> because I will remove you forcibly. You know, <laughs> that's what I wanted. I wanted because a lot of these times you have these like open groups and it's not enforceable. It's like you you have to uh, open to everybody because that's sort of the point, you know, like your typical 12 step programs and stuff like that. And I've been like preyed upon and it's like, it's not cute. It's not great. I don't like it and I don't want it for anybody else. So I was like, what if I made a space that was actually safe? Yeah. What if I did that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's something people say to us that a safe space is actually safe. It's really important yeah. to people, especially when they're coming into like that next stage. Because I think you mentioned it on your page where you say sobriety is one thing, getting sober is one thing, but then the recovery is like, you called it a different animal or a beast or something. Yeah, <laughs> I called it another animal. Yeah, it's like learning to live again. It is. It really, I mean, we, we've never classed ourselves as being in recovery because we didn't do the kind of 12 step program to get you sure. sober. But that's interesting. You're, tell us about it. You know what? I'm not even going to yeah, try because and guess. We, we do always say that sobriety is more than just putting the drink down. We always kind yeah, we of do. do, but then we miss out the recovery bit. Because we don't identify. Because we don't it. identify. Yeah. Sure. Hello. Yeah, I think everybody has sort of like different things that they call themselves. I did like a, an Instagram live with um, somebody the other day and she was saying that she doesn't necessarily like identify even as sober or like as an alcoholic or like as an addict and what did I call myself? And I was like, well, I don't care. Um, <laughs> whatever you want to call me is absolutely fine. I, I honestly don't mind um, because I'm just as sort of like at peace with it. And I, I used to be sort of like offended, like, why would you call me an addict? But then I'm like, that implies that there's some sort of shame in it and there's not. Um, so I don't like to really differentiate myself in that way. As far as like the difference between sobriety and recovery, I think, I mean, probably a lot of the reason that I sort of what shaped my beliefs, especially in the beginning, is the sort of 12-step recovery. It's the big blue book, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, and, and that did like help me and it was good in some ways, but then there's like the chapter to wives, which is like, stay with your abusive husband who's an alcoholic because he is trying and that's like yeah. <laughs> you know I would go to meetings and they'd read this chapter and then you, so you'd go around and you read the chapter and then they were like does anybody want to share and I'd be like I call bullshit um like that's not it's not you know it's like 1950s propaganda yeah so you have to sort of like take what works and leave the rest but people would talk about sort of being like a dry drunk yeah Right. So I've sort of like taken little bits and pieces that I sort of like, I agree with that and I don't agree with that. And I identify with that. And I sort of have like what my recovery looks like to me, which is a, a much more like holistic thing. But, but to me, I feel like, you know, I could be sober. I could go for 90 days and not drink. I could be sober, but then I would drink again. I had to like do the steps in inside because for me, um, in my opinion, any sort of addiction is just the symptom of an underlying issue. I had so much trauma from like childhood abuse, from losing my mom, from domestic violence, from all these different things that I didn't know how to work through or deal with. I never mourned the loss of my mom because I just drank instead. It was like my coping strategy. So I had to figure out what was going on and then find new coping strategies and become like well again within myself and so that's what I consider like in recovery to be is like the, the constant journey towards like self-love and self-acceptance I suppose rather than just like I went through the steps 
yeah definitely i think that's really lovely did you um have you been to a 12-step meeting in the uk yeah loads yeah what do you think <laughs> um <laughs> well is there i a mean difference do you think from the ones in the uk to the usa i think there is a I'll little bit <laughs> i think uh it's usually like i would call like the old heads right so like the old you know the older gentlemen who have been in recovery that are you know like 50 60 years old or whatever and they sort of like you know feel their certain way but there's much more of like a um I don't like a really straight and narrow sort of like you get a sponsor and you do the steps and you don't ask questions and you do what your sponsor tells you to do and meh. and I found a lot of that more here in the UK yeah. and in the states there is a bit of that but I feel like people were just like generally a bit more sort of like flexible about things it wasn't necessarily like you have to immediately get a sponsor and you have to like immediately whatever whatever like you know, a lot of people wanted somebody to have a couple of months of sobriety before they would agree to sponsor them, because then you've got somebody who's like, you know, 24 hours or 48 hours or something getting a sponsor, like, that's a little bit too soon, I think. So um, that was sort of like the main difference that I noticed. But also I found with that, you also got like, I found the meetings in the States, and maybe it was just where I was, but they could be a bit more like predatory um, and a bit more like male dominated. And that is probably because I was in a more rural area, whereas the ones that I did here in the UK were in a more like city area. So there were more women. I think that might have something to do with it. But like, you know, I would find myself at, at a meeting in some random church <laughs> in Virginia. And I was like in a basement surrounded by like, you know, a dozen men. And I was like, this feels like maybe not great. And then I would leave a little bit early and one of them would follow me out and give me his business card. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's not come here for that. <laughs> no, leave me alone. I think there's still like that stereotype of 12-step meetings. And that's yeah. what I kind of imagine them to be. And when we've spoke to people, particularly from the USA, it always surprises me like that, younger people seem to go to these mm. meetings in other countries rather than the UK but actually your experience and it seems to be more male orientated here I would have said but actually your experience is the other way around so that's quite yeah, interesting yeah we, we you know we have a lot of our members uh have gone through 12 step or they're going through 12 step and they use our kind of group as the community aspect which is what yeah. really provide more of a community and that connection with people but yeah that's just not good is it it's some dirty old random man giving you his business card <laughs> yeah it wasn't and you would get people going in who like weren't really sober which for the first year I wasn't really sober either so you can meet drinking buddies and stuff there you yeah. know but you have to be really careful like but you you don't know anything when you first go in I think a lot of it, like, it definitely does depend on, like, where you are, because, like I say, in bigger cities, it probably is, like, a little bit more diverse, and there were some meetings that did have, like, loads of women, and there were some women-only meetings, you know, so it would just sort of, like, but I, you know, I kind of stuck out, like, a sore thumb in the UK meetings. I made a lot of friends really quickly, because they were like, you are foreign. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> you are foreign you are female you are yeah <laughs> like let's be friends and I was like okay I, I don't know anybody let's be friends so Aww. it's kind of nice I mean obviously it has done you some service because 
like you say, you've managed to take what you needed from it and work through the steps internally for what works for you. Yeah, I think so. And another thing that I wanted to say actually about the difference between like the US and the UK meetings is, is in the UK, I mean, we have the NHS, God bless, socialized healthcare, love it. Um, and in the States, you got to pay for everything. Yeah. Well, a, you know, a 12 step meeting costs you a dollar because you just throw it in the in the little can thing that they pass around. It's not, you know what I mean? It's not like if you were trying to like go into a rehab, if you didn't have health insurance, like you wouldn't be able to do this stuff over here. There's so many other things that are available to you through the NHS that you don't have to pay for. I mean, you might have to wait a little while, you know, for some things, but you can detox in a hospital and it's not going to cost you like four grand. Yeah, there yeah. is a lot. There's there? a lot to be said for it, isn't there? Yeah. What do you think to the anonymous side of AA? <laughs> because you seem to kind of like, you know, you open, you talk, loud proud yeah, about loud it. and proud about your sobriety. Sure. So what do you think to that? I mean, I think that uh, it's up to each individual person. For me, because I struggled so much with like honesty about my feelings and what I was going through that for me, being upfront about my recovery is part of that honesty. Um, I don't think it needs to be like that for everyone. I mean, I say like 12 step recovery, right? Everybody knows what I mean, but I don't say the words because that's like one of the traditions or whatever is that you're not supposed to, you know, maintain a level of anonymity and press radio and films or whatever it is. I, it's in my head forever. Um, <laughs> but I don't, you know, I think that the more because people still have an idea of what an addict is is like you know some old dirty guy and under a bridge with a brown paper bag and i think that's so detrimental because then people who like want to get sober we have this whole sober curious thing or whatever now are like more reticent to do so because they are stigmatizing themselves before they can even be honest with themselves or with another human about what's going on and what they're struggling with. Like, it's, there's no shame in it. It's like, it's an illness. It's, it's fine. Um, so it like puts people off from treatment, I think. So if I can be like, hey, <laughs> like I'm, I'm like one of those people and, and usually, I mean, occasionally I'll get some like judgment or something like that, but mostly people are really lovely and they want to talk to me about it. You know, if I'm like in the, in the before times when you could go to a pub, you know, and, and I would like sit at the pub or whatever, and somebody would like offer to get me like a drink or something like that. And then I'd be like, no, I don't drink. And they'd be like, oh, what do you mean? You don't drink blah, blah, blah. And you have to deal with that whole thing. And I just be like really loudly. I'm an alcoholic and just stop them right in their tracks. And not everybody, <laughs> oh. oh. Yeah, and not everybody wants to do that or not everybody identifies as an alcoholic or whatever. I understand that that's like a more nuanced conversation. But for me, it worked really well because instead of being like, oh, well, I just choose not to drink or whatever, I'd just be like, I'm a drunk. And then they'd like, be like, oh no. Um, I love that. I even <laughs> say it. I, I want to say it like that. So <laughs> But it's a great way like to do that. But then people, people will ask you questions and then you can sort of tell, well, how did you know that you had a problem? Or yeah. when did you know that you had a problem? Or how would you like define somebody who's an alcoholic? And I would just say like, hey, if you're asking me those questions, then you probably already know the answer. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I like it. So I think it just opens up that line of communication and anything that I can do to take away from the stigma surrounding it is like something that I'm going to do. It oh, just feels right. I definitely want to be putting that link for your group under 
this podcast. Before oh, we kind of wrap up, can you can you tell us a bit about what you're doing now here in the UK? And I don't mean like right now with your dog and everything, but like generally, <laughs> generally, what's going on? What's brought you to the UK? What are your plans and your writing? Just a bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I moved to the UK to be with my husband. Um, we got married and. Well, we had done the long distance thing for a while. We got married and then I got my visa and moved over. Um, I own, so I started a business over here, uh, which is like in financial services, it's estate planning. So like wills and trusts and lasting powers of attorney, because that ties in with what I went through with my mom, because we didn't have any sort of um, like financial stuff in place. And it was like, it made everything so much worse. So I try to sort of spread the word so other people don't have to go through that. So that's been really rewarding. Um, but the goal for me right now, I suppose, is really just to continue to, I don't know, just like share, spread the word, <laughs> spread the word about like um, my community and try to like end the stigma of addiction and just, um, you know, I just want to sort of like help. <laughs> and I think I'll write another book this year. I published a poetry anthology last year, um, which was really, really cool. It's called Wasted. And it was all about like, it was all poems that I wrote during like recovery and, and, and addiction as well. And so I think I'll do another thing like that. I think I'm going to do like a group thing, like with my community and we'll all do a book together. That would so. be amazing. Where can we get hold of a copy of Wasted? Um, if you just, it's on Amazon. So it's called um, Wasted uh, Fucking Genius Poetry Collection is the name oh, of it. Love it. See, <laughs> please a favour. Would you send us one of your favourite poems that you've written for us to share with our group sure. in one of our group meetings, please? Yeah, I'd love to. Every Thursday on our Sober Lounge, we do a poem. So oh. I'm thinking it'd be really cool to get hold of a copy of this book and tomorrow. be able to use it. <laughs> but yeah, if you send us one to start with and then we'll go and get a copy. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> really good because they, the members, they get you, they've got used to hearing a poem every week. Probably, yeah, it's lovely. It's really good, yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So you're going to write another book or is that just maybe? No, she's gonna write one. Yeah, I think I am. I'm working on my novel now as well, but I like doing these little like poetry books. I think it's nice, and I like you know sort of having a little theme to them. But I really would like to do something like with my community. I think because a lot of them in there are so talented, and you know some people are in there just because they like journaling or whatever and have no interest in ever getting published. So this could be like a good sort of like dip their toes in the water for them. Like, hey, you're really talented. <laughs> let's oh, put your stuff in a book <laughs> it'd be fantastic to get you on alive as well with us on instagram i think that you know it's, it's been lovely on to this yeah. really oh, thanks. i've had a good time too is there anything that we've kind of not covered that you want to share uh no i don't think so i'm I can't yeah. believe you're in Newcastle. No, it feels like it's not even that far away. You'll have to come to it. Have we got an ambassador in Newcastle yet? Not yet, Durham though. We've oh, got yeah. one in Durham, in County Durham. All oh, right. Do you do like in-person stuff? Yeah. yeah so um, we have Be Sober ambassadors around the country that arrange events for people to go to. So whether it okay. just be a meet up for coffee or a walk, but it's really nice to kind of connect with like-minded people in real life now. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> so I do think that our Be Sober Durham's nearest, probably the nearest one to you, but um, she's called Paula. She'd love to meet you. Oh, cool. Thank you. <laughs> Look out on our Instagram page. I will do. If you just hang back when we finish because we'll grab some information from you and we'll make sure we share as much as we can about your book and 
and your website and all the rest of it. So that's yeah. fantastic. Oh, cool. thank you so much, Stevie. Thanks, y'all. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.